And now it's time for us to discuss more of these headlines and simple keywords with Adam joining us on the line. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Lena. How was your weekend? Very good and relaxed and quiet. Really? Didn't you go golfing? <laughs> I did. But, but it was uh, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> relaxing. And, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. See, it's interesting because only Adam can say it was relaxing because I'd say it was stressful and I was horrible and I had an <laughs> awful weekend, but to each their own. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Adam. Let's jump into our keyword news portion. As always, we're going to try to uh, clarify some of these major headlines for you, starting with our COVID-19 updates. This is our first keyword of the day. Ease restrictions. So that's the aim. Um, ease distancing measures are kicking in from today, and this could be the last two weeks of restrictions in the country. So it looks like the country is looking to end social distancing for good following those two weeks. What should we know? Right. Well, we've kind of uh, gave you a preview of what to expect, and uh, it is pretty much in line with that preview. The curfew on uh, restaurants and cafes, other businesses, operating hours is until midnight from today. Uh, private gatherings are allowed up to 10 people. That's up from the previous eight. And the cap on large events will remain at 299 people. Uh, the relaxed measures will be applied through April 17th, so just the next two weeks. Now, Prime Minister Kim Bugama earlier said that there would be a bold shake-up, in his words, of the remaining restrictions. And similar comments were also made by uh, the health minister as well. Kwon um, Chol uh, said the country's social distancing policy would undergo a total readjustment if metrics continue to improve for the following two weeks. Now, those metrics, of course would be the daily caseload, as well as uh, critically ill patients and deaths. Um, And he added that with the exception of an indoor mask mandate, pretty much all pandemic restrictions will be lifted. Mm. Now, masks are allowed actually currently to be taken off outside as long as you are two metres apart from other people. But I think a lot of Koreans just keep their masks on anyway, even if they're alone in a wide open space. Even when I walk my dog at in the wee hours last night, it was maybe 11 p.m. and there was nobody on my street, but I still felt naked without my face mask. So Yeah, I think it's just kind of, yeah, it's kind of become second nature now uh, amid the pandemic to put on the mask and Mm. it feels a bit weird without having it on. Mm. Uh, You don't want to be seen as one of those people who breaks the, (laughs) social distancing rules so there is a bit of a stigma attached if you don't wear it so so i think that's part of the reason but anyway that is the rule currently so if you are on your own in an open wide space it is okay to put uh, take your mask off uh, Mm. uh, currently now um korea's last attempt rather at opening up and resuming normal life um on november 1st last year that actually was short-lived. It had to be rolled back in less than a month amid a severe hospital bed shortage. Mm. Um, Health officials have discredited social distancing as inefficient approach to uh, tackling the Omicron variant. Now, the health ministry says that considering the low fatality rates of Omicron, imposing tough measures is not really necessary, but rather causes severe socioeconomic costs, uh, i.e. with the case of small business owners Mm. and small merchants suffering under these restrictions. Um, daily infections are slowly uh, falling. As of 9 p.m. yesterday, there were uh, just under 128,000 new cases. Mm. Um, critically ill patients and deaths, they have dropped slightly, but they are still at quite a high level. Critically mm. ill patients still above that 1,000 mark. Mm. So 
And that is something to look out for going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, health authorities are also considering lowering the infectious disease level of COVID-19 from class one to two. That means that COVID-19 would be alongside tuberculosis, chickenpox and measles if it was downgraded to class two. All treatment expenses for class one infectious diseases and only some in class two are covered by the government. Now, in addition, the government decided to stop rapid antigen testing at COVID-19 screening centres at public health centres and district offices nationwide from April 11th. So patients will be told to go to designated respiratory clinics in their neighbourhoods if they wish to receive a rapid antigen test or you can just simply buy one from a pharmacy. And do it yourself at home, although there is a lot of dis- um, discrepancy over the accuracy mm. over doing it yourself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the rule changes that will be taking effect. All right. So it seems like in a larger picture, we're trying to make the efforts to move forward from the worst of the pandemic. We'll keep a close tab on that as well. On to the political realm. This is our second keyword of the day. Prime Minister nominee. So President-elect Yoon Suk-yeol has nominated former Prime Minister Han Duk-soo as the first Prime Minister of his incoming government. Tell us more about the candidate. Right. Well, Han is actually the first person to be named uh, to the cabinet of the Yoon administration. Uh, Yoon said he chose Han because of his abundant experience in both the private sector and government as well. Um, Han himself vowed to serve the President-elect while creating policies that will be realizable through intense debate and communication. Um, Han listed four main tasks to be addressed, managing foreign and defence policies, achieving fiscal soundness while keeping a healthy current account surplus and raising national productivity. Mm. Now, the 72-year-old, just to tell you a bit about him, he has expertise in economy, trade and public affairs. Uh, he was actually prime minister during the Normohan administration, a liberal government mm. during Uh, April uh, 2007 to February 2008, and he spent more than 40 years in the public sector, in fact, including the Customs Agency, Mm. Trade Ministry and Finance uh, Ministry. Mm. He had also been the Finance Minister during Law's government as well, and he also served as an ambassador to the United States. And he served another Liberal president, actually, Kim Dae-jung, as the trade minister at the time, as well as chief secretary for policy planning and chief secretary for economic Mm. affairs. Uh, A lot of stuff to do with the economy. That's because he is an economics expert um, and a Harvard graduate as well. Now, if confirmed by parliament, he would be only the third person to serve as prime minister under both a Liberal president and a Conservative president. And due to his history with the Um, ex-liberal presidents, there could be less chances of his nomination kind of being blocked by the ruling or what is to be the main opposition Mm. uh, Democratic Party. He is credited with playing an integral part in negotiating a free trade pact with the US as finance minister at the time. And he also led talks with North Korea over a massive aid package as well. Um, So he has uh, a vast uh, experience Mm. in the public sector and especially in terms of economy and diplomacy as well. Um, And this position of prime minister is largely administrative, uh, but the prime minister does oversee ministries and he deliberates uh, or she deliberates on major state affairs and acts Mm. on the behalf of the president. It's kind of similar to the role of the vice presidency Mm. in the US, but uh, a bit more administrative. So there is a little bit more work involved, Mm. um, whereas the vice presidency, some might argue, is very (laughs) symbolic in the US. We'll leave it there for now. On to our third keyword of the day. 
Jeju Uprising. So Korea marked the 74th anniversary of the April 3rd Jeju Uprising over the weekend. Yoon Sung-yeol attended a ceremony remembering the event. It's important because he's a conservative leader and that hasn't been done before. It was also a campaign promise, so he's delivering on his promise. What did uh, he have to say? Right. Well, he vowed to restore the tarnished honor of the victims of the massacre and their families during his term. This is the first time for a president or president-elect of a conservative party, actually, Mm -hmm. to attend the ceremony to commemorate the anniversary. Um, Yoon was, in fact, keeping a promise that he made in February during the campaign to attend the memorial ceremony if elected. Uh, His spokesperson actually said that he delayed the announcement of the prime minister in order to keep that promise. Now, uh, going to this, uh, to tell you a little bit of background into the incidents, it's often referred to as a 4-3, and it began when Jeju Islanders held a protest against the US military-led rule in Korea at the time, and it's planned to hold uh, an election for the southern half of the peninsula only. Now, the uprising was suppressed with violence, uh, and uh, violent crackdown. The protesters were accused of being communist insurgents. Um, There were years of violence uh, until 1954. So this happened soon after Korea's liberation from Japanese colonialism. Um, Some 30,000 civilians were said to have been killed. That was approximately 10% of the island's population at the time. Mm. Um, Now, Normuyan actually became the first president to issue an official apology from the Korean government to the victims in 2003. And he attended the following commemorative ceremony on Jeju Island in 2006. Now, conservative former presidents Im Young Bak and Park Geun-hye did not uh, attend the ceremonies. Mm. President Moon Jae-in took part in the ceremonies three times: 2018, 2020, and last year. Mm. Um, last December, actually, the National Assembly approved a special bill on providing up to 90 million won in compensation to the victims. That is the biggest amount of compensation given to the victims of a single historical incident. Although it will be handed out uh, in stages. Um, so we'll have to see what kind of policies that Yoon has in, pla- uh, in, in the works mm. to honour his vow. And to compensate the surviving uh, families, uh, the victims' families. On to mm-hmm. our fourth keyword of the day. Black boxes found. So Korea's Air Force says it has retrieved black boxes from a recent crash involving two trainer jets. It was a fatal accident, so these records seem to be quite important. What's the latest on them? Right, so the retrieval of these flight recorders, it raises hopes, of course, that the cause of the fatal accident uh, will be determined soon. Uh, A black box from one of the two jets was recovered on Saturday morning. The other had actually been retrieved earlier. Um, these black boxes could contain all the flight and communication records at the time of the crash. That's the role of these black boxes, mm. and they're known to withstand a lot of damage. Now, um, to tell you a little about the aircraft, the KC-1s collided in midair during a training exercise on Friday afternoon in uh, Sachan, South Gyeongsang province, and it killed all four pilots aboard. Now, The Air Force said each aircraft carried a trainee pilot, a ranked first lieutenant, as well as a civilian flight instructor. Um, All four uh, ejected from the planes, but were later found dead, unfortunately. Now, the KT-1 is a domestically developed single-engine, two-seat basic training aircraft that has been in operation since 2000. Mm -hmm. Now, the Air Force says Friday's accident was the first mid-air collision of the two Mm KT-1s. 
But it's also the second fatal accident involving aircraft this year. Mm. Uh, on January 11th, an F5E uh, fighter jet that took off from Suwon Air Base crashed into a hill in Pasong, killing the pilot. Mm. Uh, the spate of crashes has put pressure on the Air Force to address uh, safety issues mm. with its aircraft. Mm. And to address this, an Air Force official said a flight accident countermeasure headquarters will be set up to investigate the cause of the um, accident. Adam, it's okay for you to clear your voice. You do know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to pop on the microphone. All right. And finally, on to our last keyword of the day. Inter-Korean tensions. Tensions between the two Koreas are escalating again after the sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un slammed a South Korea's defense chief for talking of a preemptive strike capabilities. It's Well, mm. we're boasting, I suppose, our defense capabilities, but they take offense to it. What's the latest? Mm. Right, well, Kim Yo-jong called the South Korean defense minister Sog a, quote, senseless and scum-like guy for talking about preemptive strikes on the North. Mm. And she also warned that the South may face a serious threat for what she called such reckless remarks. And her statement came amid, of course, heightened tensions that are happening between the two Koreas now, especially over the North's spate of weapon tests that have happened this year, especially the uh, recent ICBM test. Um, Some experts say her statement could signal that North Korea will conduct more significant weapons tests soon and take a hardline stance, even more of a hardline stance on South Korea. There's been talks, of course, that we've uh, hinted on this uh, segment as well of a possible nuclear test, although nothing has been confirmed um, or certain at this point. Um, At a ceremony at the Strategic Missile Command that happened in Wonju on Friday, Saw said Seoul's military possesses large numbers and various types of missiles that have greatly improved in terms of range, accuracy and power. And he added that it has the capabilities to accurately and swiftly strike any targets in North Korea. Now, Seoul has long maintained such a preemptive attack strategy to cope with North Korea's growing weapons threats. But it's highly unusual for a senior Seoul official, especially the defense minister under the Moon administration, especially to kind of publicly discuss it. Uh, It's been kind of under wraps. And Kim has uh, issued harsh statements to uh, South Korea before, um, but she said that it's uh, the warning upon authorization saying it was signed off by Kim Jong-un in her latest uh, statement. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to see what uh, tensions will arise going forward. It does seem like the tension has been escalated with the Mm. provocations. That's what the incoming UN administration has labeled the latest ICBM test, right? Thank you so much, Adam, for this morning's coverage. Have a safe day and have warm tea. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Thank you. Speak to you tomorrow. Stay safe. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.